0: Hello there and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz and I'm the youth director here at SFBC. This week I get to share a message with you that's close to my heart as we kick off the new year together. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Richard Frankowitz and I'm the youth director here. It's been a lot of fun this morning, eh? I hope kids you have been having a good time. I um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. The sing-along the video, Rod's story was excellent. Um, and you guys have papers with you as well uh, for coloring sheets. I hope you guys enjoy those. Um, I'll try and make some of this a little fun for you guys, too. But if there's part of it that you're not understanding, feel free to ask your parents, okay? I'm sure they'd love to help explain some of it to you if uh, if you're having trouble. But it is 2023, which is exciting. I hope some of you guys probably celebrated last night. I know I was. Um, it's a good time. It's... Uh, it, it, of year to be celebrating at new year, celebrating what's been happening and being excited for the year to come, right? Uh, You know, we have those excitements about the year, hopes that we have, dreams that we have, ambitions for the year ahead. Maybe it's, you know, we, we look ahead and think about the possibilities and think about the things that we want to do or change or habits we want to form, um, different things that we want to do for our own health, maybe, you know, cutting back on some sugar or exercising a little more, all those kind of kind of things that we, we seek in the year for our own health and just for the, the good that we want to see in the year, right? And that's that's good stuff. It's a good time of year. I like this time of year because it's full of hope and excitement for, for what could happen and what this year could bring uh, and what has been uh coming in the year that's just passed right there's a lot of good around new years and and i love that it's a very hopeful and exciting time but i find also if you guys have had any practice with new year's resolutions um if you're anything like me you've probably tr- like tried to start something and then thought wow this is way less fun than i thought it was going to be uh right at the start of the year and so maybe two weeks in we start having some trouble with it right it's a pretty common occurrence and often when it comes to New Year's resolutions we often fall short or we give up on something or we make a mistake and decide you know what maybe this this is, wasn't something i want to go ahead and follow through with and so i think at this time of year in particular grace is something that i really need and i feel like we really need um i think that particularly as as far as looking at, ahead to what this year could bring i want us to have grace for ourselves and i think that if, if we tried to make a habit out of grace it would have a significant impact on our lives and the the relationships that we have. So we're gonna focus on grace a bit this morning. Um, I wanna talk about a particular uh, encounter of grace that we see in the Bible. Um, In uh, Luke chapter 19, it's a story about uh, a guy named Zacchaeus. Um, Kids, you might be familiar with this story. It's about a short little tax collector. And uh, this guy is in this town that Jesus is gonna come visit. And we don't know a whole lot about Zacchaeus except that he was short and that he was a tax collector. And tax collectors, they, they take people's money to, to take care of the taxes, however, they usually tend to take more money than they're supposed to, and so usually they're kind of mean and people don't like them very much. People tend to treat the tax collectors poorly because they're taking extra money. They're kind of stealing from everybody by making them pay more than they're supposed to. And so people probably didn't like Zacchaeus very much. He probably didn't have too many friends because people probably thought that he was a jerk. Um, tends to be the way things go with tax collectors in that day. and so. Jesus is coming to town, and everybody's excited because they're going to see Jesus, and he's coming through. And so... Uh, everybody's like lining up the streets. It's like a parade. You know, when have the, the Christmas parade, all those kind of things, the streets are just absolutely crowded. It's shoulder to shoulder of people. It's a lot of fun and excitement. Oh, we're going to see something fun. And uh, it makes me think about a baseball game I went to. It was the, the Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't know if there's any baseball fans, but you know that it's the one game where we actually in Vancouver get to see a Canadian team. And that's exciting because it's nearby. So it was packed with a bunch of Canadians and lots of Americans that also wanted to support their team. So it was a full, game those people everywhere it was awesome um, but I imagine it was just like that maybe even more people in this little town right because Jesus is a really big deal he's been doing a lot of incredible things and everybody's excited to see him Zacchaeus was too he was hoping to get a good view but uh, Zacchaeus is a short little guy so he was having some trouble with that um, if you've ever been in a crowd you know like it It can be hard to see over top of other people if you don't have any friends to climb up on their shoulders, right? So Zacchaeus was probably having a bit of a rough time. I mean, imagine that if people saw Zacchaeus in the crowd, they probably would have stood in front of him or intentionally tried to, like, get. I imagine a row of tall people just, like, gathered right in front of Zacchaeus, like, no, you're not getting a view, it's not happening. Like, nobody liked this guy, Right. So he has an idea because he wants to see Jesus too, right? And he sees a sycamore fig tree and thinks, perfect, I'm going to climb up in that tree. And so he starts climbing up in the tree and he gets up there and he's thinking, oh yeah, this will work, right? Yeah, I'm going to get a view up here, right? He's he's feeling good about it. And Jesus is starting to come through and the moment's going to happen, all the excitement that he's been waiting for. He's going to get to see Jesus. He's hanging up here in the tree and it's work. Yeah, I've got a view up here, right? He's excited. And uh, something happens that, Nobody expected. Because as Jesus is coming through and he's looking out at the crowd, he notices Zacchaeus up in that tree and he, he does something that absolutely nobody expects. He goes, Zacchaeus, you got to get down from here. Come down immediately. I must come to your house today. And everybody was shocked because nobody likes Zacchaeus. Why on earth would Jesus want to hang out with him? And so everybody's groaning, like, are you kidding me? Zacchaeus, he's the worst. Like, what a waste of time. Why would you do that? Of anybody in our town to come visit, you want to see Zacchaeus. Like, everybody's just saying all kinds of mean stuff about him and treating him really poorly. And it was a really powerful experience for Zacchaeus because Jesus actually cared about him, gave him value in this moment. He had an experience where normally he's treated horribly, and in this moment, Jesus is giving him grace. He's saying, no, you're worth my time. No, you're worth my attention. I want to see you. And so it was something that was meaningful and powerful to him. Um, that encounter was special for him. You know, um, in the Grinch, story of the Grinch, you know how you know, he has this moment where he realizes how awesome Christmas is and how wonderful it is, and it says his heart grew three sizes, right? Pretty special. I think that Zacchaeus' experience was something like that, where his heart probably grew three sizes, like that kind of like radical change that was really exciting, really special and powerful for him. Because he met Jesus, and Jesus cared about him. And experiencing that grace is a powerful and wonderful thing. And I think that when we have an encounter with Jesus, we experience grace in a way that changes us profoundly. And I think that a lot of us actually have had similar kind of experiences where we we experience Jesus' grace, an encounter of grace with Jesus. You know, like when you're reading your Bible and the words just come alive as you're reading about God's love and it's like, wow, God loves me that much. That's incredible maybe you're listening to the radio and um, you're hearing a sermon from like Greg Laurie or something and he's talking about God's grace and it just like hits you in a special different way, you know? Um, when we have these experiences where we really feel God's grace, it's powerful and it changes us and it gives us hope. Like this time of year when we have a lot of hope, I think that grace is a really powerful and positive impact kind of thing, especially when we experience the grace of Jesus. And so Zacchaeus had something like this here. And it was really powerful for him. So I think as we're thinking about, you know, making a habit out of grace and trying to to focus on grace, I think I want to give us a bit of a framework for applying grace. So I want to center our thoughts on forgiveness a bit this morning. Because I think that forgiveness is just a practical application of grace, right? Now, one thing about forgiveness is that it takes a lot of time. It's not some quick, snappy, easy, check-the-box kind of thing. It's a process. It's not simple. It's not a wave the magic wand or snap your fingers. It is uncomfortable and it's painful. Often we don't enjoy forgiveness. It's this messy experience. It's complicated, it's hard, and we don't usually enjoy it. But it's a wonderful and powerful thing. So there's a, a conflict there that's not a lot of fun to deal with. Um, I read this book recently by a guy named Michael Dye called The Genesis Process for Change. And in it, he talks about why we find forgiveness is so difficult. And the reason that he says that forgiveness is hard is because usually we have some kind of expectation about something that we feel like we're owed, something that we feel needs to be done in order to right the wrong before we're willing to let forgiveness take place before we're willing to make um, an offer of of giving someone grace, we want to see something done. And he calls this the debt. Um, And this debt is this this feeling that something is owed, this feeling that um, somebody who's done a wrong needs to do something that is owed to me before I'm willing to forgive someone. And it's the thing that we wrestle with when it comes to forgiveness. And it could be any number of things. You could be expecting like an apology or, you know, recognition if they, they, you know, like I would just, I would forgive them of everything if they just would, you know, admit that they were wrong. Or, you know, if you want some kind of injustice right, if you want action to be done to just like really make it take place like to bring about restoration you think to yourself you know if i w- if they would just do something to show me that they meant that they were sorry i'd believe them and i'd forgive them like we expect them to do something first or even if it's just like an understanding you want them to have right like if they could just see it my way if they could just know what that meant to me or what that did to me if they know what i was feeling i'd feel like i could be able to extend grace easier and I'm not saying that every situation around forgiveness revolves around this like debt idea, but I think it's a common wall that we put up when it comes to forgiveness. It's a common barrier that we just naturally put up before we're willing to forgive somebody. It's this, it's this, un, this feeling of, of being owed something. And when we cling to this feeling of being owed, I think we actually prevent ourselves from being able to forgive, to be able to extend grace. We prevent ourselves from something else too. I think we also, when we put up this this wall of being owed, we prevent ourselves from being able to be freed from any of the hurt or pain that we experience um, that, that we're harboring because of the situation, that, that we've felt from whatever kind of wrong's been done, right? If it, if it feels hard afterwards, um, we actually end up holding on to that because we feel like we're owed something. I think that's why the Bible is so clear about instructing us to forgive other people, right? Like... In Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In Matthew 6, 12, it's in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice how in these instances, the Bible's clear that um, our forgiveness of other people is in relation to the forgiveness that we've received from God. What we've experienced grace, been given grace in a powerful way. And so Christ says that the only application then is to go ahead and the next thing we need to do is be extending grace to other people. We should be giving grace because we've received it so much more from God, right? To be people of grace. And I think that ultimately the only way to free ourselves from the weight that we carry from those kind of burdens that we feel is to forgive other people, to extend grace. But again, forgiveness takes time, it's a process. It's not a quick and easy thing. So I wanna just break down that process really quickly for us, okay? So I think the first thing about forgiveness, the first piece in the puzzle is recognizing the debt. I think we have to understand what the thing is that we're holding to that's holding us back. We need to, to have an, a, an understanding of what we're looking for, what we're holding on to, what do we feel like we're being owed? Because you can't let go of something that you're not aware you're holding on to or you haven't actually been able to see it yet but it might be something that's just um, a little bit deeper, right, we have to do a little bit of digging for it. I think about Pharaoh and the hardness that he had in his heart, this unwillingness to let go of Israel. I think sometimes we can have this unwillingness to let go of things that we feel like we're owed. So naturally, it can be a bit of a journey on its own, right, and even a painful one, just to find that thing, to, to understand it and see it and say, yep, that's what it is. I think the second thing then in following is, is being willing to cancel the debt bringing ourselves to a place where we actually would be okay. We actually could be content if the debt was never paid. And that's a long process itself. It's not a quick and snappy thing. That actually means never receiving that apology, maybe never getting that money back, maybe never getting that satisfaction of justice. You know, what would happen if you never got the thing that you feel like you're owed? I imagine the feeling brings up the sense of frustration and, and anger. I know I certainly feel that every time I think about forgiveness. Like, that's what it's going to cost me? Really? I want that thing. I hold on. To, that thing is important to me. It matters, right? makes me think about Matthew 18 and the unmerciful debtor. See, this guy owed a lot of money to the king. And the ki- he went to the king and he said, please, please, please forgive me of this debt because there was no way he was ever going to pay it in his entire life. And the king says, yeah, sure, no problem. You're forgiven. And then the next thing he does is he walks over the, and he... He finds a guy who owes him some money, and it's basically scraps, like it's almost nothing. And despite that, he just wants what is owed to him so badly that he throws the guy in jail. Now, the king hears about this and throws him in jail too for it, but the thing was, he he couldn't let go of what was owed him, and it cost him everything in the end. It wasn't worth it. So you might be asking yourself, how can I come to this place of contentment? Like, how do I even get there? Well, I think that contentment is a place of peace. And if we're having trouble finding it, we should ask the Prince of Peace. I mean, it's not a particular step that I, in, in, in the parts to go ahead and like, ask God for help, but I think it, it is worth saying nonetheless that throughout the process, if we're having trouble forgiving someone, we should ask God for their help with that. If we think that that's an impossible task, we should probably ask the God who likes to do the impossible things. He's pretty good at it. So, and then there's part three. Um, which is walking away from it again and again and again. I think this sometimes can be a repeated process. Like you start working towards forgiving somebody, and then maybe a year later, you're like actually still feeling some pain about that situation. And maybe six months ago you were fine, but in the moment, actually it hurts again. And so you actually have to go back through the process of of finding what that pain is and what what that thing is and and being able to release it, trying to come to a place where you feel like you could be okay, you could be content if that price was never actually paid. Um, I want to tell you a little story. When I was... um, in university, fresh out of high school, I was um, in, living in dorms and I shared my testimony with some of the other guys that was in the dorm and uh, we were all sharing our stories with each other, trying to get to know each other a lot better. And As I was sharing my story with my friends, the one thing that they pulled out of my story was that it was clear to them that I had not forgiven my father. There was a lot of, they could tell that I was harboring something around that. See my, my father walked out when I was just a kid. And uh, it was clear to them that I was holding on to something there and that I hadn't let go of it, that I was holding it against him and that it was weighing on me. And uh, so I gave it some time, I gave it some thought and you know, maybe a while later I, uh, I wanted to sit down with him. And so we had a chat and uh, I told him that I was trying to work towards forgiving him. It was going to take some time but I was working on it. And the thing was, he was surprised. Didn't see it coming at all. He was blown away because I mean, it's not something that him and I talk about. It's not a conversation that we have. We leave that alone, right? We don't. We don't go there. And so he hadn't, you know, shown that he was sorry. He didn't ever ask to be forgiven. He never, like, you know, gave me a reason to want to talk about it. And so we didn't normally. But the thing was, he wasn't in control of the situation. I was. He didn't actually need to initiate that situation. to to initiate forgiveness in order for me to actually go on the journey to to find forgiveness, to start working towards forgiveness. I didn't actually need him to do anything for me to be able to go to the place where I could begin to let go. Because the thing about forgiveness is that your ability to forgive requires nothing of the other person. And that's painful. It actually requires nothing of them. They don't have to do anything for you to be able to get there even though we want them to. We want them to do something. We feel like we're owed, right? But it requires nothing. When it comes to forgiveness, there is no need for participation from the perpetrator. None at all. They're not the ones that are stopping us from forgiveness. We are. I am. That's up to us. See, in order for you to be free from the hurt that you're harboring against another person, it's up to you to free yourself of that hurt. Whether there's whether there's reconciliation or not, whether there's work from the other person or not. Which is why forgiveness is such a painful process. Because it means letting go of something that we feel like we're owed. But it's also a very freeing thing because it gives you the ability to move on in life, to be able to leave the pain of trespasses behind. See, you don't need the other person to seek reconciliation in order for you to be free from the pain that you carry. That, that's within you. You have the power to extend grace to other people. It's the Holy Spirit, right? The, the peace itself, the God of peace, lives within us, gives us the power to be able to extend grace. And Again, grace is such a powerful and hopeful and wonderful thing, and we can give it. We can be an outpouring of grace like Zacchaeus was. See, Zacchaeus experienced grace from Jesus, and it immediately resulted in... In a radical transformation, a gracious heart was put within him. See, receiving grace from Jesus put this desire in him to, and this ability to be able to pour out the grace that had been shown to him. It multiplied right off the bat. That experience of grace that he received resulted in this overflow of grace that impacted everyone in Zacchaeus' life. See, Right afterwards, he decides he's going to go ahead and give half of what he has to the poor, and he's going to pay back everybody that he owes four times as much. It became this outpouring of grace that blessed everyone in his life when he experienced grace and gave it back. If we seek Christ and experience his grace, we are able to find that all that we need is in him. And in doing so, in finding that all we need is in Jesus, we receive that grace and strength to give what we've been given Grace and forgiveness, wonderful, powerful things. So, 2023 is here, guys. It's full of opportunity. There's so much there. So I want to ask you a few questions as we close here. What do you think your world would look like if you allowed yourself to be transformed by grace? How do you think your life would change? How do you think people around you would act? What would your home look like if it overflowed with grace this year? What would your household look like if you allowed grace and forgiveness to be the first thing that you, have, you give out, the thing that you focus on loving people with? What would your friendships look like if you tried to let grace lead your decisions this year? If you treated other people with grace first? And for those of you who might have just had one person on your mind this morning, and uh, by the way, that's usually the Holy Spirit's doing. What would that relationship look like if... You look to the Holy Spirit for strength so that you could start working towards taking steps towards forgiveness. Grace is a powerful, wonderful thing, and we have a lot of opportunity with it. So let's use it and pour out God's love as we've been given. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the love that you pour out for us again and again and what we've been given. I just pray that you would help us to Seek the opportunities that you give us this year. Give us boldness to follow where you're leading. Give us love for other people and and a heart to be open to to what you're doing, that you would give us peace. Lord, you have your way in us as we go. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.